expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Well, here we are back again for episode 33 of Down and Nerdy, where myself and the One-Armed Wonder are officially con men. We are officially con men. I have con hangover right now. I do too. And and still, I mean, it was on Saturday and I I woke up. I'm like, oh God, (laughs) my body still hurts. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. When we got got home on on Saturday night after Tidewater Comic Con, I was done. I was toast. Oh, yeah. I crashed. Even Sunday, it was like a blur. So, you know, we're not going to do the whole what we did this weekend thing because what we did was pass the hell out Dude, this weekend. I, I got home at 6 o'clock at the night from Tywater Con, and I tell you what, man, my big red comfy couch felt so nice. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> it's just a face plant, and I'm like, shit, I'm, I'm going to pass out and just sleep. I literally slept for like 10 at night. It was, it was like... It was on, but no, it was fun. Saturday, of course, it was Tidewater Comic Con. We were there. You know, thanks to our buddy Bob over at Fantasy Escape Comic yes. Cards. I never go on a boulevard in town center near Virginia Beach. And uh, no, it was it was a blast, dude. Like, we got there at 6, 6 30 in the morning, setting up. And dude, thank you to the fans who oh, like, yes. stopped yes, by our that's table. That's right, yes. Excellent. You know, so I mean, I mean, that was just, I had a blast. It was awesome. It was nice. You know, there were some other podcasts there, so it was nice seeing, like, uh, we literally having other podcasts come up to our table yeah, and say, hey, hey, you guys are, like, professional. Like, this is amazing. The setup you had, you know, we, we signed autographs, you know, and it was, it was, it was very surreal. You know, my favorite part of the whole thing was was meeting so many uh, interesting new people and great cosplayers and people that are just passionate about the stuff just like we are and and i think that what we did was we gave people that normally wouldn't get the chance to talk about this in a public forum like we have the chance to do a little bit of that and do what we do and i think that that's what made people want to come to our table and want to talk to us because hey we've said it a million times and i think we owned it on saturday we want to talk to you and want to talk about what you want to talk about and that i I, that shows if you've listened to the episode i think on our poster, it says we are we are interactive, and my God, was there never a more interactive time than the Green Arrow will kill Batman oh debate? I'm gonna tell had. I'm gonna tell you right now, um, because if if you were listening to it, it's different than actually being there. Obviously, I'm gonna tell you right now that there was a point in that debate where I thought we were gonna break up a fist fight. I, well, while you're here, if you you know, right now our, our Tyler Comic Con episode has over a hundred listens, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But but if you listen to me, I'm like, okay, guys, that's gonna do it. And I'm trying to get these guys off mic because I'm like, yeah. oh shit, something's gonna go down. There's a third guy that came in, started talking, and, and then a like, fourth getting, guy came in, and he was getting he was and it was getting irritated there. It's so like, oh shit. And then you had the the kids had to open his mouth say about he thought he was a Joker, and Cody was gonna start throwing shit. So I mean, it, it was just like. And my voice, like, oh shit, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, we were happy because uh, it was a great discussion. And you know what? As as much as I disagreed with him, props to Green Arrow guy for sticking to his guns, man. Yeah. I mean, he really just he hung in there. I'll give him all the credit in the world. He stuck to his guns. And when you, when you love a character, man, you love a character. Oh, exactly. And it's like it's like Green Arrow versus like. 
you know, Jesus or God, oh, Green Arrow, kick God's ass. You know, it's like, but it's, you know, Zeus or whoever, yeah. you know, it's like he would, he, you know, he would die. Still, he'd, he'd win. Definitely, totally win. It's like, oh, okay, okay. But no, it was totally fun. I mean, you know, going into it, you know, I expect to get, okay, a few people and stuff like that. But to the amount that we got, oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was literally, you know, overwhelming and astounding. And, you know, we had Bob on, you know, towards the end and I almost, you know, cried and stuff like that. It was just, you know, it was a good accomplishment. It was a good feeling. No, you know, we said up and leading up to it, you know, we're going to own it. We're going to go balls to the wall. You know, we're going to go balls deep in this thing, you know, and we did. And uh, we laid a nice, you know, nice little nut and we're good. <laughs> yes, we uh, we had a lot of ball related metaphors that we were working on for the show. And I think that we definitely made that work. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. And not only just the people, but uh, other vendors that came by, uh, like talking to Ross Dixon Alice doing the music for uh, for things like Archer and Adventure, Time, and Adventure Time. That was fun. And just meeting people that you wouldn't normally get to meet and that that was one of my favorite parts about it and, and thanks again to mike federale and the guys for for putting on a great con and yep. uh, i actually bumped into mike towards the end of the con i was walking around i bumped into him and he just had this big look of relief on oh his yeah face. more so oh, yeah. than more so than than he had in april when we were talking about that he was he's walking and he was calm he was smiling and i said i said you look relaxed he said i am now so I mean, I just just props to him, and of course, there's going to be another show in May, a two yeah. day show this time. Two day show looks like it's going to be epic. But I mean, for us, the job. I mean, you know, congrats to Mike. Congrats to everybody there. You know, I mean, it was just it was a great day. It went off without a hitch. It was it was it was great. But I mean, this opened up opportunities for us. We got some other projects. We'll just say for now in the pipeline, mm-hmm. as we'll say, you know, and uh, it's just opening doors. Let's put it that way. It's, doors were opened on Saturday. Well, we got, it's a it's a big time for us right now. People that we've gotten to talk to and people that we've met and 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 like it's it's because of you fans that it's a growing process. And we've said the more people you get the word out, the bigger the show's going to get. I mean, look, I mean, we uh, we got Cullen Bunn on the show this week. Yeah. I mean, yes, how, we do. I mean, how how does that even happen in, in less than a year of existence? We're going to get to talk to Cullen Bunn a little bit later on about all kinds of projects that he's got going on. And uh, it, it's going to be if you know Cullen Bunn, if you don't, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, go to Google right now and Google Cullen Bunn and, you, and it'll you'll understand. If you don't know who Colin Bunn is, then you haven't read a comic book in the past 20 years because he writes like every one of them. <laughs> and you haven't listened to our show either because <laughs> we've, we've kind of accidentally reviewed several of Colin's comics. Oh, God, I think it's more than that. I mean, God, what, four or five at least? I know it's the Magneto, uh, Carnage vs. Deadpool, like Sinestro, Shadow, Lo- yeah. Lobo. You know, everything. We've pretty much done everything. But, I mean, it's just, like I said, this past weekend, just this past week, you know, we got, we're, we're closing on 300 likes on our Facebook page. It's just, you know, like I said, doors were open. Things are ha- starting to happen now. And it's just, you know, we were taking baby steps. And after Saturday, man, like you said, after the con, we set off the air, we're hitting our full stride right now. Like right now, we're, we're, we're full stride in it. Definitely, and 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 you know, just we're excited about things that are going to happen in the future. And we hope that you excited, you're excited too, because I mean, we we try to be different. We try to be uh, not the norm 
of what you would normally hear. And I think that uh, that's one of the reasons you like to stick with us. And we appreciate that. But I mean, things are going to get back to normal this week. As a matter of fact, coming up next, we'll be talking about what we're reading. A couple of very interesting comics right here on Down and Nerdy. Well, before we get our bags, get our boards and read our comics, we just want to make a quick correction here. Uh, Dixon Ellis, he actually does video game music, James. Yeah, I, I misspoke. That was my fault. Uh, we were talking about Sam Ellis, who does the stuff for Archer and for Adventure Time. And uh, I, I kind of got my lines crossed a little bit there. R- Ross Dixon Ellis does video game music, and he works for Bush Gardens as well and does music yep. for them with the London Rocks and does a great job. So that's my bad. I just misspoke. But, but now... But now we turn our attention to what we're reading. And James, do you want me to kick it off this week or do you want you to kick it yeah, off this week? Yeah, why don't you go first? All right. Well, I read something. Um, it's, a, it's an indie. It was actually published by Topps trading card company back in the 90s. A lot of people um, don't remember the top side comics. No, they don't. And um, it's James Bond 007 Goldeneye. And it's a th- number one, actually, I read. And it's a th- part of a three-part series, of course. It's a comic book adaptation on the film. The right- It's written by Don McGregor. The art is phenomenal. I'll tell you that right now. The art is by Claude St. Aubin, who did the pencils, Rick Mager, who did the inks, and Steve Buccello, and Ele- Electric Karen did- were the colors on it. This, like I said, this book was written in the 90s um, when GoldenEye came out. And it feels like you just, it looks literally like a comic you just picked up to yesterday. Wow. It's, it's the, the, you know, the art stands the test of time. Uh, the pages feel amazing. You know, it, it just feels new. Maybe it's because I took good care of it, but, you know, it's just, everything just feels new on it. The cover art is stupendous. But there are some problems with the book. A lot of problems, actually. Um, now, the book, like I said, it's written by Don McGregor. But the thing is, this book, it's a comic book. It's not, as James would say, a book book. That's right. <laughs> it's written a lot in voiceover in the opening and even throughout the comic. That's so it's ex- odd. So it's explaining what happens even though you're seeing what happens. Right. Like, in the beginning, it works out because, you know, it starts off with the, the whole uh, the, the scene where James Bond's invading the dam. And it's like he jumps off, and in a flight of fear, 007 will not be doing this. And so I was speaking a little bit of voiceover, and it's like, okay, this is pretty interesting because it's reminding me of the old school radio uh, shows like Green Hornet and Lone right. Ranger that, that my dad and I used to listen to all the time. And my dad does still to this day. But as you're reading and you're seeing like people are shooting, it's like Russian guards stand from a plate glass window shooting at 007. It's like, we can fucking see that. Yeah, why are you telling me this? It doesn't make any sense. And it gets annoying. Like, and literally, it, I went from reading it actively to skimming it, to just be like, okay, to skimming it, to being like, okay, I'm just going to skip over these and just look at the pictures because it's all I need to see. <laughs> it's almost like you want to tell the tell the writer, you do know somebody's going to be drawing this, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not sure if you wanted to pay a tribute to Ian Fleming or what, but it's like, dude, we don't need... It's we weird. Have a, it's weird because it takes you out of it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm being, you know, if it was like, if it was a regular book, it would no pictures and I can understand. Oh, of course. Yeah. But you know, I don't need to know that the dust, you know, the moon is hitting and the smoke is clearing. It's like, I can see that the moon is up and the smoke is starting to clear. You know, it's like, I don't need to read in a yellow box what's going on and it takes you out of it. But at the ending, there is actually a pretty interesting read, but also kind of took me out of it a little bit as well is McGregor at the end is like a it's at the end of every comic. I only have one and three, but it's at the end of every comic because it ends with to be continued. Right. It's pretty much him writing in magazine print form, 
the making of the comic book and how he said, you know, I want how he to take this 150-page screenplay and had it turn into a three-part, 70-something page huh. comic series. So it kind of gave a little bit of a behind-the-scenes kind of thing, which is pretty interesting. But for me, though, the, the like I said, the, the, even when you read the words themselves outside of, you know, the description of what's going on and voiceover, it's not that engaging at all, really. Right. And you know it's written, and you know it's a little bit dated because it's written in that whole '90s um, James Bond slick kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? Like when you right. read the comic, you get like, okay, I'm reading something Pierce Brosnan said, or, or I'm getting that kind of like that you know nostalgic feel. You know those innuendos, and even sometimes the innuendos came off a bit cheesy too. Because I'm like, oh, really? Like, okay. well, that that can happen in James Bond in general, though. I think. Right, but I think when you put it something like this, though, as it's other than outside of the books, um, because with the books you have something of a sense of time. Here, it's like okay, you understand it's the nineties and everything like that, but but it's just a way that maybe something is written or, or drawn that just makes them a little bit less. I okay, see what you're yeah, you know. But for me, it's a skip. I skipped this. You know, I would just watch the movie instead. Honestly, unless you're a collector of nostalgia, like I said, it's only three books. It's not like you know they did a twelve issue series or whatever. It's only three issues. So if you're somebody who loves James Bond and just wants to get it out of nostalgia and just have a collection on your shelf. Go buy it. But if you're somebody like me who's looking to say, okay, well, I want to just read this. And mind you, this was in my, my kid's comic book collection, by the way, um, which is pr- pretty enticing because it's actually the first time I actually saw nudity inside of a comic. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, so again, if you're somebody like me who just say, okay, I just want to read it. I got nothing better to do. I just skip it. I just watch the movie instead. The movie was probably better anyway. Yeah, but now you, James, you did something. You told me it was an indie, but you didn't tell me what the fuck it is. So again, you keep me in the dark. And when I yep. asked you, you know, I wanted to say, James, take my hand. You're like, no, and then you realized I gave you the wrong one because yep. that's so. So what are you what are you reviewing this week, Mister Witham? Um, it's funny because when we I peruse I, every week, I always peruse what's coming out, and and uh, this actually caught my eye just by the title. And then I, when I looked and saw what it was, I said, I have to pick up this book. So, of course, Bob... Was it Playgirl? No, oh, of course not. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. There's no mystery there for me. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a book from Boom Studios. It's called Fiction Squad. Okay. And it's written by Paul Jenkins, art by Roman Box, and the cover also by Roman Box. Now, the colors are by Leonardo Pacciarotti. Yes, I finally got a foreign name right. I'm going to take a bow, even though you can't see me because it's a podcast. And uh, the letters were, were done by Jim Campbell. Now, I'm going to let you know what the hell this is, because you probably don't know from the title. Uh, it actually takes place in the children's realm, which is in a place called Fablewood. And uh, it's about this detective named Frankie Mac who was banished from a... Uh, he was a failed detective in an unfinished novel. And he goes to un- uncover a conspiracy in the world of storytelling. So this takes place in the world of nursery rhymes and children's stories and stuff like that. But it's remade kind of in an adult world. It's very, very interesting. As a matter of fact, the front page, one of the first panels, it's a map of all these different land areas. There's a romance realm. There's a fables realm, fairy tales, poems, children's stories, the horror area. And, you know, the horror area has like a little haunted house uh, in it so you can see what it is. It's, it was very cool. And one of the first lines that you read is every nursery rhyme is a crime scene. Oh, awesome. So basically the first thing that, that they go with is 
uh, Humpty Dumpty is sitting on his wall and he gets pushed off <laughs> and falls. So Frankie Mac and his partner, who's Simple Simon, was a pieman, and uh, they go to investigate Humpty Dumpty falling off this wall. And, and Frankie Mac says, you mean to tell me that somebody who's got years of experience sitting on walls is just going to fall off in his own? I don't buy it. There's something going on here. And then the Who starts playing and it's just it's like CSI you know, it, fairy tale. It, it really was. And then they find flying monkey prints at the <laughs> scene, which they think could be connected to the queen of hearts, which wow. is very interesting. So apparently there's two different groups. There's groups of the witches and the cards, the witches being, you know, where the flying monkeys come from, wicked, witch of the East, West, stuff like that. Now here's, now here's my thing though, with this, doesn't it seem a little bit too much? Like once upon a time on ABC, it's, this is very, it's better. It's be better. Okay. It's totally better. And the other group is the cards, which is Alice in Wonderland, Queen of Hearts kind of yep. thing. And, yep. and it actually takes more stories than Once Upon a Time does, actually, which uh, makes it very interesting. There he is actually, no Frozen, correct? No, no, okay, thank, thank definitely Christ. not. Thank so Christ. Frankie actually thinks that this is connected to the Jack and Jill case. And by the way, Jack and Jill are water smugglers in this huh. story uh, where Jack's actually gone missing. So he starts interrogating Humpty Dumpty's wife, who's a big-breasted blonde chick, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So Humpty Dumpty did well for himself. Um, He did do well for himself. And, uh, well, his shell's cracked right now, so there's nothing he can really do about it. So he's going to have to wait until he gets gets all patched up. But apparently he's accusing them of selling eggs to the witches, which he said would piss the uh, Queen of Hearts off. And that's how that might have happened. So then Frankie goes to find his informant. And who's his informant? It's Pinocchio. Oh, of Jesus. Course. And they of call course. him they call him Noke in the story, which I thought was great. <laughs> and so he's he's already being kind of he's being threatened by uh members of the cards gang, I guess you could call them about how he doesn't need to talk to the cops. <laughs> right. So Frankie goes in and breaks it up and he gets beat up by the cards who are basically Jack of clubs, 10 of clubs that beat him with clubs. Which nice. I thought was brilliant. It's very meta. So uh, basically, he questions Pinocchio about about you know if there's going to be a war between the witches and the cards, and Pinocchio says no, and his nose grows. And right. He's like, ah, thanks for the information. What one of the things I loved about this book was there's references all over the place, like uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's told as a home invasion. Uh, <laughs> little Bo Little Bo Peep is an insurance scam. Oh, uh, Jesus. Bingo the dog goes to the police station to report something, and they make him spell out his name B I N G O. <laughs> I mean, so many great little references that are that are awesome. And uh, I, I want to skip ahead because I don't, I don't want to keep going because I could keep going forever on this. Right. Uh, Frankie gets yelled at as his boss because the mayor, who is the crooked man who lives in the crooked house, <laughs> doesn't want him to be on this case anymore. So yeah, his boss he might be there. He might be a little bit crooked. That's he... right. That's right. A little bit of a dirty cop. So he leaves the police station kind of in a huff and then he gets roughed up by Alice in Wonderland and her gang. And then Jesus. And then the last thing that happens is there's a big boom. First of all, Simple Simon is a fucking idiot in this comic. He's really, <laughs> really stupid. It's, well, he's, he's called Simple Simon for a reason. It's almost annoying, but it's funny, so you kind of you kind of get over it. But they hear a big boom, and that's basically what gets Frankie out of hot water with Alice in Wonderland and her guys. And they run over to investigate it, and someone has dropped a house 
on what <laughs> appears to be the they call her the East Side Witch, but we don't know for sure. Now there's calling cards, literally calling cards that are left. One is a jack of diamonds, and the other one is a shell casing, which is a piece of Humpty Dumpty shell. Right. So it's almost like they're connecting those guys to this crime. What if it was like the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk that like dropped it on her? Well, and they mentioned Jack and the Beanstalk too as a theft. Oh, really? Oh, and by the way, beans are currency in this book. Oh, fantastic. That's what they used to pay because they were in a bar getting a couple of drinks, uh, Simple Simon and Frankie, and uh, that's what they used to pay. They used beans to pay. So I got to say, very interesting, very clever writing. Probably one of the best written books, period, that I've read all year long and since we've done this show. Plenty of puns and references, you know, stuff that you heard as a kid being kind of told differently and a little bit more edgy. Very, very interesting. Uh, the art was kind of, the best way I can describe it is upscale cartoonish. Okay. Where it's not bad, but it's definitely meant to look like that nursery rhyme type feel. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah, they, yeah. but the inking kind of spruces it up a little bit. So it doesn't look too, uh, like, it's not Nick Jr., let's put it that way. Okay. We're not talking about Nick Jr., you're talking more like like Cartoon Network kind okay. of style is is what the art it's is more so. more more upscale more new kind of like that fresher look okay i, th- I think but, it was the inks i think it was the inks that made it made, yeah. made it a little more fresh yeah by the way pinocchio just he's a horrible informant he'd be a great male prostitute exactly but he, he yeah. would be a horrible informant <laughs> and that's why he went to him because he knows he can't he can't keep it in and that's the best kind of informant but this is a six-part limited series Pull this now. If you are just interested in stuff like this, if you're interested in different takes on something that were, was a classic, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm so glad I decided to pick up this book. So glad I found it because it's it's such a fun read and it's a nice break from your normal superhero, superhero, superhero. Yeah, guy. yeah. It, it reminds me of like the whole Jim Henson witches book that I'm trying. To, like I'm still scouring the earth trying to get. But I go over. I got when I go to Bob's. I gotta tell him to order me that that copy. I will definitely tell him to order me this as well. I mean, because it sounds like very interesting. Like I said, it's it's a nice. And like I said, you know, when you're reading comics, you kind of do need that break. That like, okay, we need to get away from that whole spy, yeah, superhero capes. It, it's and like when you got, guy, you know, it's things. like when you got Saga. Oh yeah, kind of thing. That's, it is that this thing what, that's me. what this was like for me. Yeah, but that's gonna do it for what we're reading. So put away your comics, put them back on those shelves, and hide back in where your dad hides his old porn. Because coming up next, we're gonna be discussing well the thing that Prince damn near broke the internet last night. We're talking to be talking about the Age of Ultron trailer that leaked last night. More down nerdy come up next, and don't forget Colin Buns coming up later in the show as well. Our interview with him is our main topic this week. Stay tuned. More down nerdy coming up next. Well, it's time to grab that popcorn and get it ready because we are here discussing this week in Geektainment, and this week was a big one that we... Now, first of all, before we get into Age of Ultron, yes, I just want to mention this, that we've been seriously trying to review the Hunger Games trailer <laughs> yes. for three weeks now, and every time something comes out and we end up having to bump it, so just to pull the curtain back a little bit, we, we write a rundown every week, and um, Nick sends me the rundown, and where it says this week in Geek Tainment, it says Hunger Games dot 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 finally <laughs> it's like it's literally like um jimmy kimmel when he says i'm sorry matt damon we don't have any more time for you or it's like uh yeah. there was a there was a tonight show back in i think the 90s or the late 80s when alf hosted a tonight show and he had the pope 
on the show. Yep. It was supposedly the Pope. And he kept on bumping him for guests. He'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, the Pope. And you see the Pope behind him, the curtain would open. And the, he's like, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. We got somebody else coming on. And the curtain would close. And it's, that's what the Hunger Games is. Like, we're going to do the Hunger Games this week. Curtain opens. Wait, wait. Ultron's coming this week. Close the curtain. Or we're going to do Hunger Games this week again. And, well, wait. The Flash just premiered this week. Yeah, <laughs> so. So, some, something's going to happen. So, I mean, if, if Jennifer Lawrence ever finds this out, though, dude, that's there goes your in right there. <laughs> there goes my in. You're, you're, you're done. It's a good thing those pictures leaked because you're that's the closest that you can get. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we are very excited this week to be talking about the leaked trailer, which is not leaked anymore, for Avengers Age of Ultron. Now, some pre... Now, here, well, before we get to the trailer itself, I just want to say this. There's no way Marvel planned this leak to happen. Oh, no, no way. Because here's the reason why. They had said it was going to premiere next week with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so there's no way that they would say, you know what, let's take this trailer that everyone's looking forward to and it's going to boost our ratings for mm-hmm. our, our TV show, which is kind of not doing so hot in the ratings right now. But it's got good ratings, but not great. It's not great. But let's take this, remove it, keep the ratings as low as where they are, and let's put it out on the interwebs for people to watch. And but you gotta admit though, I was like, I want to applaud the Marvel for doing this, for pretty much just going with it. It's like you know yeah. what? It's the internet. We can't contain it. And I wish you know. And said you know what? Fuck it. We're gonna officially just release it now. And they even tweeted, "Damn you, Hydra." Yeah, that was that was priceless. That was really priceless. It was great. So I mean, again, Marvel, good job for doing. You know that and just realize, that, hey, it's the internet. It's out there. You know, it's something we can't. You know, we can't do. We can't put can't, it back in. You can't unring a bell. I mean, you really can't. So yeah, that that was a very good job on on their part for doing that. And you know, I mean, I know that they kind of when it initially happened, they started doing what everybody does, and they're going at removing it from yep. YouTube and stuff like that, which is fine. I mean, I think you should do that because you know it's copyright and all that stuff. So we get it. But I mean, just to just go with it at some point, like you know, why are we wasting all our time doing this? Yeah, let's just freaking put it out. But I will say this kills agents of shield oh fuck this was so dude i watched this trailer no lie over 30 times since like 8 p.m last night when i post this on our facebook page facebook.com such down nerdy i literally dude just not stop. i had a friend of mine up in new york who's watched it over 52 times wow. and it's but it's amazing like it really is it, it's like i'm and, and here's the brilliance of marvel part you know becoming now affiliated with disney what makes this trailer, besides what's in it, is the theme behind the action. When you have Pinocchio's I've Got No Strings being yeah. sung in a very angelic, choir-esque, you know, dark thing. Oh, my God. It gets you pumped for it. Yeah, nice to get that partnership with Disney and be able to use that kind of content whenever you want to. Exactly. But the, the trailer, though, you know, it starts off pretty much with people, you know, and, and, and just saying, like, you know, right, you know, for rioting or the rooms that were at a soccer game or whatever, um, cheering. But it's pretty much just followed the whole no strings thing. So you had the Avengers in Avengers Tower, and who do you see, James? You see ah, Ultron. Yes. Mm-hmm. You see, but he's not his final Ultron form. He's he actually is, Iron Man parts. Yes. Because as remember in Iron Man 3. Tony's no longer in the suit. He's right. commanding the suit. So Ultron, and you can see he's got the battle. He's, his suit's all busted up. At least the robot suit's all busted up for Iron Man. And you can tell he had a fight with probably with the other suits because he has like a, just a couple of them just laying out on the ground. Yep. So 
And he's like talking about how you know you have no strange people are all puppets and everything like that. And he breaks the Iron Man head, and he's like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, that was a big holy shit moment for sure because that just that doesn't happen. No, no, nah, no. <laughs> but you know, then you get some looks of like the, the Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver and some action and and there as well. And you know, this is setting up Civil War pretty much. Or and as you can tell. This is going to be a, a movie that's probably going to rely heavily on the Hulk as well. I actually think this is the movie where we're going to start to see the break of the Avengers. That's what this, yeah. that's what it seems like the underlying theme of this movie is going to be because you see Thor dropping Mjolnir, you see the shattered Captain America shield, and we talk and we hear Tony Stark talk about, you know, breaking up the thing that he started, which is kind of a misnomer because really. Nick Fury started this, and maybe that's where some of the tension's going to be as well. Right. Well, that's the thing is, and you know, when they first announced that Ultron was going to be the bad guy, and they said, "Well, wait a minute, Hank Pym, who created Ultron in the comics, isn't going to be in it. It's going to be a part of Tony Stark." You wonder, right. like, how can they do this? And then you realize, okay, it's probably some. You know, one of the suits more likely probably just goes rogue, as we see in the trailer. Yes. And and that's what causes Ultron. And then you know, of course, Tony Stark builds Vision, and that's and then that, but he's luckily, and that's what I'm glad. Too. I'm glad they didn't show the Vision in this. Yeah, I am too. I know people were pissed off about that, but I'm actually glad they didn't. But I think part of it, though is that they did because if you pause the trailer, there's a part where Tony Stark's been standing over like what looks like a torso of an Iron Man uh, suit, and the Vision's an android. So part of me thinks that's the start of the building of Vision. It really could be, but I, I mean, I mean, people need to relax. It's the first trailer. Yeah. Are we going to see Vision? Absolutely, we're going to see Vision. Uh, we also only saw Quicksilver was the only one in the trailer that was actually fighting Ultron. We don't think that he's going to be the only one fighting Ultron in the movies. Well, so. no, we don't know if it was the main Ultron. Remember, we had the Ultron well, bots. Yeah, it was much. one of the. He was the only one really fighting one of the bots. Is what? Yeah, that's what I was saying. So, I mean, it's not, and they're supposed to be potentially evil in the beginning of the movie, too. So, yep, because I mean, remember they were captured by Baron von Stryker. That's right. In the beginning, and, you know, people are wondering, like, okay, well, you know, Cap's in this castle, and again, he kicks the door, and who is he looking for? Part of me thinks he's searching for Bucky. I, yeah, because that's where they left it in Winter Soldier, and, and, it, and it begs the question, because uh, Anthony Mackie was supposed to go with him, does that mean Falcon's going to be... Uh, with him in that area, or is it going to be Black Widow? How are they going to tie that in? Because they'd have to keep that continuity from the last film. Exactly, and part of me thinks too we might see Winter Soldier in this film because I mean I might be jumping on straws here, but when you pot when you see the scene of the motorcycle, it doesn't show you who's on it; it show you Black Widow on the motorcycle, but. This time, the motorcycle has Cap's shield in front of it. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of wondering, okay, who is, you know, on that bike? It could be I, it could be Bucky. I don't know. I mean, it could but, be. I mean, it could be a number of things. It could be Tony Stark. Could be. Takes but, the shield. But, I mean, we're seeing this, and, I mean, it's it's glorious because it's just like it's so agitated. It's so dark, too. And this oh, yeah. Is, and you can tell that, that you know, with Banner, like I said, he's going to be a pivotal part in this because this is what's probably going to set up Planet Hulk. And you know, I think he's gonna get shot off in the end into you know into space because the Hulkbuster. We see the fucking Hulkbuster Which and him looks fight the Hulk. Phenomenal! Yeah, it looks well, so good. They said it took pretty much like a, a few like months, like three to five months to plan. I think it took like a year to pretty much get everything in order. Oh, yeah. And it was like they put everything into this fight between Hulk and the and Iron and the Hulkbuster suit. So I mean, you see that, 
And just, it's like, there's turmoil within the ranks of the Avengers. But I just think this is where Hulk goes rogue. Oh, yeah. I think Hulk's just going to lose his shit, and I think oh, that, yeah. that's what's going to create a lot of the problems. Oh, yeah. So I think, you know, you're going to see that. But overall, dude, this is... And then you have, of course, the end of the trailer where it's... Where you hear all trying to, who's James Spader, played by James Spader, say, "Now I'm free. I have there are no strings on me." Yep, that was and, creepy. And that was creepy as hell. It's funny you know? because James Spader. First of all, I'm a huge James Spader fan. Oh, I've said that in the past, but I was reading an interview with James Spader. He was talking about uh, Ultron, and he said he's a psychopath, and he is, and I'm quoting here, he's batshit crazy. Oh yeah. So I cannot wait for James Spader's Ultron to see more because if this is just a taste of what we're going to get, it's going to be maybe one of the best. I mean, we were we were impressed with Loki, yeah. but I think this is going to be better. Oh, of course. It's going to be better. I mean, it's Ultron, dude. I mean, he's literally like, I think next to Thanos, Ultron I think is the biggest baddie next to Thanos in the Avengers universe. Yeah, well, I mean, if they wanted to tie, I mean, I guess you can't really tie Galactus in yet, so you can't really go no. with Galactus. But yeah, as far as what they're doing now, Avengers Universe, absolutely. But part of me thinks, so, how crazy would it be, though, if the ending for Avengers 2, and now stay with me here, it ends with Stan Lee waking, like, waking up, and the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe is just a dream. It's like Stanception, pretty much. <laughs> you know how pissed people would be if that happened? <laughs> like, wait a second, really? That's what you're going with? You want to talk about hate. That, that would garner so much hate. That would be hilarious. I kind of want to see that because I just want to see people get pissed off at that. See, see Stan, Stan Lee wakes himself up as he's listening to Awesome Mix Volume 2. Oh, my God, yes. Something like that. Yeah, I could, I could see that really pissing well, people off. Because it could be like, well, hey, why, how is he able to be in every movie in every place? I mean, I know he's the creator, and he's like, you know, he's Stan fucking Lee. Yeah. But if you're like, you know, hey... He's an Iron Man. He's in Guardians. Each what if each move is like a level of his subconscious. <laughs> I'm just digging deeper, and then he just wakes up at the end, like, oh, okay, you know, or, or he's like in a pitch meeting for the for the MCU, and Feige's sitting there. I think it would be scarier to see an end credit scene of Joe Casada with a red pen over the <gasps> oh, script, God. going, "I'm back" or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, that that would be more scary to me. No, don't touch it. Get that man <laughs> out of the building. Yes, but like, uh, no. Like I said, overall, like, I've watched it over thirty times, and I think I might have an issue. You I think really I might, do. You I think I, might have, I have to attend like Trailer Hawks Anonymous or something like that. You you need you need geek tainment. 12 steps that's exactly what you <laughs> yes oh my god but no it's it's, it's great to see this because they say it comes out the movie comes out in may and it's april. just like april april yeah okay okay i thought it was may but well, it um, said april 2015 so i don't know if they moved it or if or what the hell they're doing maybe it is still may Fuck but either way either fucking way i'm just this is like you have my attention like you, you know it, it, it's it's Oh my god, it's just glorious. It was orgasmic. Well, I mean, you know? they were gonna get our attention no matter what they did, honestly. Right. So I mean this this is just what like the first Avengers movie. They could have put out the trailer of them eating shawarma and, and that would have gotten our attention, honestly, because but, it's the it's the Avengers. We've been waiting but for But the this. thing with the Avengers movie though, is that even though it can't, you know, when people first saw it, they're like, Oh my god, bad shit crazy, but you had those people though that were like Oh, that Pam, like, like, oh, what's Black Widow going to do? She's just loading a gun. Or like, oh, they're going to try to make it too funny. This is like, oh, shit. Like, things going to hit the fan. And it's yeah, just going to so f- be a dark movie. Yeah, I agree. I think Avengers Age of Ultron, it's not going to be so funny anymore. No. 
But, I mean, overall, dude, like, just what's your expectation for this movie? What would you like to see? We've seen two to three minutes of what's going to be in the movie, supposedly. But what's your overall reaction to this is what what I'm getting at. My my overall reaction is I want to see... I mean, we, we saw the bickering in the, in the first Avengers movie, but that was when they were trying to learn to be a team. I want to see what it is that causes that fissure. What is, what is it that causes that divide? And who picks what side? Because just because, you know, the storyline went a certain way in the Civil War comic doesn't necessarily mean they're going to follow that shot for shot in this movie. So, right. I mean, you kind of assume Black Widow's going to kind of side with Captain America. And you know that Cap and, and Iron Man are, are going to probably be the well, ones that are on they also, sides. Well, they also tease what looks to be a relationship between Black Widow and Banner. Yeah, which is also very interesting. So then then there's the whole, what, what side does Banner fall on on this? And, and there's even... Even talk that maybe because Thor drops Mjolnir, that maybe he becomes unworthy, and now he's not even going to be in the, the any future Avengers movies. And maybe they're bringing the female <sighs> Thor. There's all kinds of stuff. I going think on. that's. I personally think that that's going a bit too far. I know. I I was kind of feeling because you know how many people we piss. I understand that Marvel's trying. You know, they got the new Thor with the. You know with. Uh, it was a female version out now, but do you know how many people would be upset? I'm not talking about just men, but women in general too, because it's Chris Hemsworth. You know, oh, I agree. I totally agree. He, I, I think he, it would be stupid. He is too. Thor. It's 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 tough. You know, it's not like I'm sorry, but it's not like um, taking Terrence Howard and replacing with Don Cheadle. You know, yeah, that that yeah, you it's can not do that. that. It, this is huge, and you know, okay, Thor comes unworthy, and you put the, the female Thor in there. Um, but what do you do after that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you're introducing this, technically you're introducing a new character and you lose it. I think that right. dynamic that you had with the first, you know, two Avengers films between Thor and everybody else. Exactly. I had to bring it up cause I knew the talk was out there and I wanted right. to kind of stomp it into the ground. Uh, but I think something's going to happen with Thor. Something's going to happen with Bruce Banner. But I think my most intriguing thing that I'm looking for is is what is it that causes that that rift, that divide? And there's always been tension between Cap and, and Tony Stark. But what is it that finally pushes them out to maybe say, you know what, we got to call this? Well, not just that, but who? What, like, I, I'm looking forward to like staying with what you're going with. I'm looking for the same exact thing, except with the other the, the side characters, the Hawkeyes, the Black Widows, the, like I said, the Thor's and, and even Nick Fury's and stuff like that, you know, because Shield is no more. Right. So it's it's you know you want to see okay what pushes these people to side on whatever side they go on. So it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. Yep. And coming up next, speaking, we talk about a lot of nerd news with Age of Ultron. We're gonna get into even more nerd news, some interesting topics this week. Coming up next on Down and Nerdy. Well, boys and girls, it's that time again as we go around the interwebs and check out what's trending. And nerd news and nerd and geek entertainment. Because what is it, James? Nerd, nerd news. news. And the first topic is well, the local boy gets his full share of a season, James. That's right. Our good buddy from Norfolk, Grant Gustin, is getting a full season order of The Flash. Looks like it's going to be 22 episodes in total. And after seeing the way things have been going, it's not just for the ratings with the record breaker and the premiere, but all the ratings that we're getting in the Live Plus 3s and the 18 to 40 demo, it is looking good for The Flash. And the episodes just keep getting better. They do. And, um... You know, you mentioned the, the ratings. You know, they had 6.1 million viewers in that live three-day Nelson ratings, which you just mentioned. And it's literally the highest, 
you know, ratings in that demographic, the 18 to 40, since 09 with the Vampire Diaries for CW premiere. I mean, it's dominating for, for CW programming. I mean, it's even, it's taking Arrow to task right now. And I know Arrow's on its third season, so it's not fresh and it's not as new and people are really excited. But it's, I mean, if they keep this up, this is going to really, I mean, it, for the CW network as a whole, it's going to allow them to do so many different things. No, it's, it was originally slated to have 13 episodes. As you mentioned, it's getting that 22, which is nice. It shows a lot of promise. CW, I think, got it right. Like, they finally got that DC TV right, yep. I think. they Like, you know what? I'm sorry. Everybody loves Smallville. I'm like, Smallville was shit. I'm sorry. I didn't like Smallville at all. I just never got into it. I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say it was shit. I just never got into it. I think it was made more... Uh, as a teen drama for 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 teenage girls and and younger girls than it was for us, so I think that's why we weren't really attracted to it. But no, you mentioned like like this week's episode, dude. It was so awesome. Like it's oh, with the mist, it was just so cool. By the way, Grill Grot has been confirmed he will appear this season. I can't wait. I know, and the fact they're going to do it this season is crazy. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, they had what they had the mist, they had Weatherman, um, and. Someone else, I can't think of who. Captain oh, Cold's gonna be next week. Captain Cold, uh, the guy, what's his name? He can he can multiply himself. Oh shit. Multiplex. And, multiplex. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, they, they've had some good villains, and I think that's what's drawing. I think that's honestly that's what's drawing a lot more people with the Flash. The Arrow's Arrow's great too, but I think because with the Flash you have more. Um, People, you know, metahumans, whereas with the Flash, it's like, okay, we're dealing with people, you know, who are just normal people. They just right. have, you know, know how to fight pretty much. But with the Flash, it's like, no, these are people that have, like, powers and shit, you know. So that's why I think it's drawing in, I think, more people. And I think the underlying what is Harrison Wells doing thing is really keeping people interested. Or who is Harrison Wells, really? I mean, there's a lot of theories. Man, I don't know if... I mean, speak, speaking of nerd news, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of theories about a lot of these DC comic shows going around. But I noticed something, and I don't want to change the subject, but this is what we do. I noticed something on Arrow last night. Right. And I don't know if you've watched it yet, because I know that you're a, you're a Hulu guy. But this is not any kind of spoiler or no, anything. I watched it. So. I watched it this, this is morning. not any kind of any spoiler or anything. But I wanted people to notice that when... Uh, when uh, when uh, they're looking at the blueprints yes. in Queen Consolidated, in the bottom right-hand corner of the blueprints, yep, it says OMAC. Yeah. You know what that means. The OMACs are a big, big deal. And there's a Brother I tie in there, which is also who created Brother I. Batman created Brother Eye. So there's just a lot of stuff shaking out here, people. And Jeff John just said, not too long ago, the story broke today where Jeff John said that there it's a multiverse. He used the word multiverse. So I'm not saying it's gonna be anytime soon, but this could be a War of the Worlds kind of thing brewing, maybe. Maybe. But I mean, it's just it's it's really awesome they're where they're going with the Flash. I'm excited that everybody you know is is getting you know it got picked up for a full season. I mean, you expected it to be because it's you know not just because oh, yeah. it's you know ratings aside, it's it's a DC property, so they're not going to be like, well, the Flash, eh, you know, it's got these ratings, but we're just not going to continue with it. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna it, it was going right. to get picked up. But speaking of things that are getting picked up over on the print side. You want to talk about Warner Brothers? They're playing a digital series based on Mortal Kombat, Critters, and Static Shock, and a 
whole fuck ton more. And there's also talks of a Static Shock live action um, show. Yeah, that or, just broke or, today. Or short. Too. Yeah. They also we also don't want to forget the uh, the Justice League Gods and Monsters Chronicles that's going to be on Machinima that animated series. Bruce Timm's going to be involved. There was a lot of rumors right around Comic Con whether or not he was going to be involved or not. He is. That just looks really cool. But Mortal Kombat. I think we've been waiting for this. You know, first we got the news of the digital comic release for Mortal Kombat X, and now we're finding out there's going to be a series. I'm stoked. The fact, the fact is, too, is I believe this is going to lead up to Mortal Kombat X. So, you know, it's from, from what I've been hearing. But I'm excited, dude. I'm like, finally, there's a Mortal Kombat comic. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, it's digital. I know you're not a digital guy, but still. Still, it's something I'm going to get. You know, it's something I would definitely pay for you know i mean there's one of those things like outburrow and gold revenge stuff like that but the main ones i think are static shock uh mortal Kombat, and the justice league gods and monsters chronicle you know i mean you want to look at like uh static shock like here's a guy you know he's an african-american hero literally for years people say when are we gonna get something new with static shock it's been a while since wb had the animated series well we're going to get a live series, it looks like, or like a live movie or something like that's happening. And I'll admit, I'm not I'm not very familiar with Static Shock, so for somebody like me, and it seems like a very interesting character, so for somebody like me, this is a good chance for me and other people to jump in and learn about the character and about the property, but it seems like a very cool concept. I'm, I'm excited to check it out. I watched the Static Shock show as a kid, never really read anything about him, but no, it was very interesting. It was very, very cool. Uh, so I'm excited about it. But no, overall, hey, this is a great time for Warner Brothers. Like I said, I'm just so excited about, you know, the whole World Combat series. Oh, me too. It, it's, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It, uh, it's, honestly, honestly, Critters, I could do without. Yeah. I could do without. I mean, I, so, I know some people like it. I was never, I was never a fan. I could do without that. Some of the other stuff that they've got on here, yeah, it looks interesting, but those are the ones that stand out the most. And those are the ones that I'm excited about the most. Exactly, but then our third story. Well, you like Star Wars, James. I love Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Your wife's now. Your wife is a big. You know, she's German. She speaks German fluently. That's right. So, do you think you're going to have to have her translate a 24-hour Star Wars channel for you? She could totally do that in her sleep. Because this holiday season, Sky Hits in Germany is going to become Sky Star Wars. It's going to air nothing but Star Wars content 24 hours a day from December 1st through the 14th. This is according to The Hollywood Reporter. Pretty much it's going to be like TBS during the holiday season, except they don't show one movie over and over again. And don't forget, they just did that with The Simpsons on FXX. Yep. Uh, as well, doing that for, for, I think it was 10 days. And before you think, how the hell are they going to do that? It's doable. Think about it for a second. There is content there. A lot of it. This is doable. There is not going to be a lot of repeating. I mean, there's going to be some repeating because it's still 24 hours a day for what is it? How many? How long is it again? The Four, first like two, like two weeks. Two weeks. So I mean, yeah, they're going to have to repeat some stuff. But I mean, you could play the different versions of the Star Wars movies. You could play the you know the unedited cuts. Well, and they're the saying cuts. They're saying to start off with episode one and go to episode six, and so it's going to be that. But they also said in between films, they're going to go. Um, and put in some of the bonus stuff. For example, which is very cool. Some of the featurettes, like I'm making over six movies, uh, created over the many years, and also going to show a couple documentaries. They're going to show the Ken Burns documentary, Empire of Dreams, and 
uh, you know, the story of Star Wars trilogy and the Star Wars legacy revealed. Oh, I so, wonder if they're going to show that. Remember that film that was found that was supposed to be a, a part of the Empire Strikes Back? No, they're not going to show the Christmas episode. Uh, no, not the Christmas episode. I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, no, I, I, I wonder if they're going to show that. Yeah, it was that, that film that was supposed to show before the Empire. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what the name of it is off the top of my head right now. It was one of our in one of our past episodes, but that would be very cool. It would be, be awesome. Show that. I, I'm still waiting to try and see that thing. But could you, okay, could you handle a 24 hour Star Wars channel for at least one day, even though you had to watch the prequels? Uh, I could handle it for uh, a few days, I think. But I think that once you start getting to day four, day five, I, and I mean, even if you're the most hardcore Star Wars fan, it's got to get old at some point, right? Again, TBS shows Christmas Story 24 hours a day for like from, Dece- from December all the way to like March. Yeah, I never understood how you get away with that. I don't know how you do that. I mean, I, I mean, it's a good way to, you know, as they say in the biz, put it on autopilot and just let it roll because there's not really a whole lot you need to do. But I mean, I just don't know how, how does that work for people? I don't know. I, I don't like autopilot. So that's another story for today. No, <laughs> that's another story. No. That's another story. But, but that's uh, what they're doing. That's what they're doing. They're probably just putting on autopilot and just saying, eh. Whatever, just let it roll. No, this is easy. Let's just do this. Well, you know, some of us don't. I'm not. Even, I'm not even a big fan of the Christmas story either. That's why it drives me crazy. But that's another story for a Christmas episode, a little bit further down the road for us. But our final story, and this is going to be one where we're going to be ranting about right now. Buckle up, kids. <laughs> Shit's about to get real, and it's going to get very methy. Um, ah, I, I see what you did there. Oh, I hate myself for that so much. Ah, you got that shit from me. Welcome. I did. You're a fucking disease. You're like herpes. That's right. And I'm spreading. Oh, Jesus. But anyways, Toys R Us, as they just announced today, that they're pulling their Breaking Bad action figures after coming under fire from a mom who had a thousand electronic signatures uh, for a petition to move the figures from the shelves. Okay. Um, now, the Walter White figure comes with a gun and a bag of crystal meth as accessories. It's also Jesse Pinkman that comes with a gas mask. So, the mother felt that the action figures or, or any toys that are in any way related to drug use should not be found on the shelves of a store that is aimed at children. Uh, let me just say this. And this goes back to what we said about other parenting stuff. If your child knows who Walter White is or knows what crystal meth looks like, mm-hmm. the fuck kind of a parent are you? Not only that, I can't tell you. And this was last year, by the way. Yeah. I saw quite a few Breaking Bad children's costumes come yes! to my door. Holy shit! So, let's talk about that. And before we get too far into this, I, I need, I'm going to reality check the world here for a second. For people who might not know. And uh, for anybody who's ever collected action figures, you already know this. But I can tell you right now that there are plenty of adults... That will show up at Toys R Us at butt crack of dawn to pick up new figures, whether it be anything that DC or Marvel's doing or something like this. You have got, I don't want to say creepy adults, because people that, not everybody that collects action figures are creepy. I mean, it's weird to go to Toys R Us, but I'm telling you right now, when you collect action figures, and I used to collect plenty, you go to every store you can. To get every action figure you can. I mean, you're not necessarily getting more than one, but you want to make sure you get the whole set. So you're going to go anywhere you need to go. So going to, you're going to, Toys R Us did this for adults. They didn't do this for kids. They did this because they know 
adults will spend money on something that they think is a collectible and then is a popular entity and Breaking Bad put, falls into both of those categories. So this was never, ever, I don't think, intended for children ever. No, it wasn't. And the fact of the matter is this, too. There's billions of people, okay, in America, but yet a woman with a thousand signatures gets a thousand, really? Yeah. A thousand was all it took? Yeah. Not 10,000? It said, oh, I mean, it starts at over a thousand, but it's like still, it's not, there's no way that she had like 10,000 no. signatures. Yeah, yeah, you say over a thousand, that means she had like 1,132 or something like that. There's no way that she had like five. If, if it was anywhere close to five, they would have said five, they would have said 10. Over a thousand means a little bit over a little over bit over. Thousand. But it's just like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you know, again, these are people policing each other, saying that I don't like something, so you're not going to have it. It's like go fuck yourself. It's yeah. you know, like if, if I brought, if I'm not a parent, but if I brought my niece into a store and saw those, and she saw those, I'd be she like, what are those? I'd be like, those aren't for you. I do okay. I do what my dad did when we went to the video store and I wanted to buy like Mrs. Doubtfire radar movie. He said, no, it's not for you. And I asked him, what's it about? He said, you'll find out when you're older. That's, exactly That's all it. you got to say. That's all you got to do. Don't come up on fucking change.org and say, I don't like the fact that you're selling figures with fake crystal meth. Like your kids gonna know what crystal meth fucking looks like, but yet you're going to buy that ninja figure with the sword yep. and the throwing stars and the karate chop. They can, Cut people in half. You can feel free to get those toys, but God forbid us adults have a fucking uh, guy with a goatee and has a, a bag of clear, looks like rock salt. Here's two things I want to point out. First of all, I'm a parent, and that's all I'm going to do. If my son comes to the store with me and says, Daddy, can I get that? And I'll just say, no, you're not old enough. And and that's that's the end of it. That's right all you got to do. That's it's the all end. you got to do. So, and then the second thing is, and here's something that I want to find out, and I'm not sure if we can dig up this information or not. We all know that there are age restrictions on boxes of these figures, you know, 8 and up, 12 and up, yada, yada, yada. I'd like to know if there is an age restriction on the box, first of all. Second of all, I want to know if it says that it's a collectible or an action figure. Right. Because there's a big difference there. And Toys R Us has been in the collectibles game. And by the way, they, they sell magic cards and all that other stuff too. So they're definitely in the collectibles game and have been for years now. So, And they used to sell wrestling figures in the Attitude Era of the WWE and wrestling. And tell me that that stuff wasn't sexualized and controversial. And they didn't really ever have anything to do with, with drug use, really. But uh, there was some hardcore stuff not intended for kids, but yet those wrestling figures were okay and flying off the shelves. Exactly. Like, you know, that's the thing. Oh, okay, I found it. Um, the the maker of the toy or Toys R Us, um, the makers of the toys, they said, they said in a statement, the product packaging clearly knows that items are intended for ages 15 and up. Okay, there you go. I mean, is 15 okay for drug use toys? Maybe not necessarily, but I mean, again, you're a parent, that's a judgment call for you. And if that's what you want to do for your son or daughter, then that is your. But again, call. if your child is watching Breaking Bad, and, and they're and they're of a certain age, it's not it's not fifteen, but it's less lower than that. That's a fault on you as a parent because it's like you know, and like I said, it, it, you know, I don't think about oh, this guy's just blaming parents. It's like you have a certain responsibility. You know, my right. my 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 whole take on parenting is this, and I'm gonna be the same way when I have kids. 
Um, my responsibility as a parent is my child. It's right. not your child. It's my child. I'm not going to tell you how to raise your kids. Now, if your kid does something to my kid, I'm going to say That's something. That's a different story, yeah. That's a different story. But if I'm like, well, see, my kid plays with these do- with these figures or dolls or whatever, and you know what? You're going to you're come out and say, my kid can't have that. You're going to make it hard on me as a parent to find figure toys for my son or daughter. Go fuck yourself. You know, because it's like, you want to make your kids happy? I mean, my kid asked for a Breaking Bad figure, and they're like 16, 17. Okay. But if you're... You're 16 or 17, you can go buy it yourself. Yeah. But if you're, thing. Like, if you're like less, if you're like a kid, you know, then I'm sorry. I'm, daddy's not buying you that. You know what I'm saying? It's it's one of those things. It's Right. Don't, you know, my thing is I'm policing my kids. I'm watching out for my kids. I'm not going to watch out for your kids. It's not my job. Because, you know, what's one thing, you know, you as a new parent, James, say all the time, don't tell me, you know, or, and see people say all the time, don't tell me how to raise my kid. Don't tell us what toys we can cannot buy for our children. You should be able to, and this goes for anything, and I'm speaking as a parent, which I can do now. This goes for anything. If you don't want your child to be exposed to certain things, yes, don't buy it. Change the channel. Move on with your life. Police your child's internet activity. Block things. Use the V-chip. Use all the avenues that you can use to not expose your child to things you don't want them to be exposed to. There's right. plenty of comics in my collection that Jameson's not going to be reading until he's much older, but there's going to be stuff that I can start him out on that will be okay, and that's what I intend on doing. I'm not going to... Just expose him to everything right off the bat. I mean, because I'm going to be that responsible parent. I want to make sure I do it the right way. Well, I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now, for his fifth birthday, I'm going to give him my copy of Preacher. Yes. Nice. (laughs) Like, you can read this soon. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> soon. When you get to five and a half, you can go have a have go have a go at it. <laughs> he was gonna give you the crow pestilence, but we decided we weren't ready for that yet. Yeah, but no, like I said, it's just my thing with the, with the toys is this: like, you know, if they're out, and my thing is, you know, there have been debates like, well, they were in the playing field with children or whatever. You know, it's like this: kids are gonna see something. You know, let's speak about society. Kids see things. You know, where they look up, down, left, right, whether it's right in front of them. They see something that you might not like or they might you might deem that they're too inappropriate for them or, or they're not old enough for. Don't flip out. Like if they, I, My thing is I'm noticing this a lot with parents today. They don't want to answer the questions. They just want to make sure out of sight, out of mind. But when a kid, God forbid, asks a question about something like this or whatever, they just don't kick, they just kick to the side in terms of, you know, whatever you know they don't they don't really answer it like i said all you need to say as a parent is just you know this is not old enough for you why not because it's just not that's all you gotta say honestly man when we were growing up everybody saw stuff that they shouldn't have seen at a certain age we've all been there it's gonna happen it's how you deal with it when it does happen it makes a difference and the whole in plain view of children thing i'm gonna go back to what you said if you're a kid sees that and says oh look is that crystal meth what what are you doing <laughs> or you look know, hey it's walter white it's I like mean, what householder i mean knowing the guy's name is that's that's okay if you you know you hear mommy and daddy talking about it that's one thing but to know that that's crystal meth if your kid can know that 
By looking at it on a shelf, I don't know, man. I mean, it'd be, dif- it'd be different. Saying, all you gotta say is, oh, it's, it's rock candy. That's all you gotta say. It's not like it's not like your kids just just saw undressed Barbie or something. It's it's not like you're you're exposing your child to nudity or something like that. You don't necessarily know what that is. Oh, I mean, you know what? Maybe they know because they went to friggin' school and the dare ca- the dare cop came in and told them what all this stuff was and what it looked like. I mean, yes! I remember years Sixth ago. Grade. In, grade. Yeah, in elementary dare. school, we did that. I mean, they and they brought in their little their little case that, that was representations of all kinds of different drugs that ch- that kids might encounter in their lives. And it's like this is what cocaine looks like. This is what marijuana looks like. Yada yada yada. And you'd pass it around the room and you'd know. So it's sixth grade. It's okay for dare counseling, but it's not okay for this toy to be in Toys R Us. Not not to mention, Toys and Toys R Us are grouped by age group too, by the way. If you've not been in Toys R Us in a while, they have the... They don't have the Breaking Bad toys next to the Legos. Right. It's not not Duplo and then Breaking Bad figures. (laughs) I mean, you have to realize that it's separated age appropriately and that once your kids start getting a little older, once you start cracking that teenage barrier and you start... I mean, kids back in the day at like... 12 and 13 were reading stuff like the dark Knight Returns. yes <laughs> and really i mean uh and and um some very very graphic novels back in the day if, if it was okay then i mean i saw shaft when i was 12 the two that the remake with sam jackson i saw that when i was 12 <laughs> i mean i've i've i saw some stuff probably way before i should have too but i mean hey i turned out okay you turned out okay but you parent your own way. If you don't want your kids exposed to this, I'm not judging you for that, and I'm not even blaming you for that. But when you're telling people, but my thing is when you're when you're fighting against something taken off the shelves, I think by that you're saying I, I I'm just and I could be you could say I'm totally wrong on this, but when I see somebody do that who's a parent doing that to other parents, it's like you're kind of telling other parents how to parent. You know what I'm saying? You know you know what sends a bigger message? Don't buy it and let it not yeah. and let it not sell. Let you know, let the uh, the capitalist system do its work. Exactly, because let's let's face it. There's a lot of crap out there, yeah. and it doesn't sell, and it ends up at Ollie's for two dollars. And uh, Ollie's is a discount store for those of you who don't have them, by the way. Um, it ends up there, and nobody buys it, and that's where it ends up. And they they cut their losses, and they do that. So let this end up there, and send that message. But don't don't police my world. Don't parent my kid. I can make my own decisions. Exactly. And speaking of making our own decisions, well, we decided, hey, who can we have on? If, you know, we come off our Taiwan Comic episode, who can we have on just raise that bar just even higher? And it is possible to raise that bar even higher. So we say, you know what? Let's get Colin Bunn on the show. And he's going to be sitting down with us next. So stay tuned to our interview with Colin Bunn. Come up next right here on Down and Nerdy. Well, Nick has called him the Guillermo del Toro of the comic book industry for good reason. We're so happy to get a chance to sit down with Colin Bunn. Colin, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for talking to me, guys. No, uh, no problem. No problem, Colin. Thanks for coming on. It's it's really like it's awesome because it's awesome that you know I say that you're the Guillermo del Toro of comics because it's just you have so many projects going on and it's just it's it's amazing. It's a really astonishing. So getting being able to talk to you today is really really uh, it's it's a great thing. Oh well, thanks. Uh, that, I I, uh, I was wondering where that uh, the the del Toro thing was coming from. I figured <laughs> that one out. <laughs> so speaking of that, I think before we dive into any of your individual projects, the first thing I wanted to ask you is because you've got so much going on all the time, how do you balance not just the work but the different storylines that you have to that you have to work with? 
for me, that's something that's never been a huge problem, uh, at, at least keeping those stories straight. Uh, it, it, you know, I guess, you know, I, I'll admit right now there's a there's a lot of projects on my plate. But uh, but so it's probably a little more difficult now than it may have ever been. But uh, I still don't seem to have uh, don't seem to have too many uh, problems keeping those stories straight. Uh, you know, the more important thing for me is just keeping my schedule uh going and and that's just a matter of you know uh you know i you know i work a a pretty a pretty long pretty long work week and uh, you know i keep my uh my my to-do lists uh <laughs> my to-do lists are, are out there keeping me keeping me honest and and sending me alerts and uh i just try to uh you know i, I try to stay on top of that stuff as as much as possible so when you're away from writing, when you actually have some time to yourself, what do you like to do in your spare time? Like, what, what do you do to unwind, maybe clear your mind a little bit, and get ready for that next comic that you have to write? You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I uh, I am almost always writing in some way, shape, or form. I mean, even during my my spare time, I you know I will always have a notebook near me. Um, I, you know, I've noticed uh, probably more more so in the last you know couple of years you know if i'm watching tv i've got my laptop computer there that i'm you know i'm i'm you know typing away uh when i can um you know if you know there there are times where uh where i i don't do any work and and it's you know i'll get together with friends or or spend time with with my family um you know tonight i'm going to a haunted house that'll be fun because awesome. you, know, you know celebrate some halloween so i do things like that but but i'm really i'm you know i i have that kind of sickness that i'm just you know i, I just happen to be happiest when i'm actually i feel like i'm producing something speaking of getting the sickness as you said when did you first get infected when did you decide this is something you really wanted to do for a living uh, you know, I've always wanted to to tell stories in in one you know one way or another. I mean, when I was very young, I was putting together comic books. I was writing and drawing comics, uh, you know, either for myself and then you know, I think in about fourth or fifth grade, I was doing. A, I did a series of comics for my friends. You know, you know, I did a series that ran for I think it was you know thirteen or fourteen issues. Uh, I wish I still had those because wow. I'm sure they'd be hilarious to to look at now. <laughs> what, um, what was the title? What was it about? It was X Laser Knights. Uh, was the title, and and basically uh, it was envisioning uh, all of my friends and myself as sort of a sort of a team. I, I won't say superheroes, but like a, a an action team that were dealing with alien <laughs> monsters and. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, we fought a Medusa. I remember. I remember an issue where we fought a Medusa, and you know, fought different creatures. And uh, and if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure Garfield was like the pet <laughs> of one of the characters, oh, wow. and Heath, <laughs> Heathcliff was a pet of another. So it was really just pulling a lot of. Uh, uh, I think I had a knack for drawing Garfield and Heathcliff, so I put them both in the in the series. Um, you know, and then then a few years later, I did another comic, another couple of comics that I sold at conventions, mm. um, not you know little bitty comic you know, comic book shows. I, I did uh, you know I did one called Captain Cosmo and one called Fat Man that both uh, you know that I sold at conventions. I only did one issue of each. So going pretty far back, I've been uh, interested in doing comics. Even back then, you were doing the one shots. 
Yeah, that's right. I was just <laughs> doing one shots. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, with the whole one shots thing, see how you do have a history of doing those, and you look at something like you're doing now, like Magneto, which is a longer run. How much? You know, what kind of elements go into writing a one shot that may go into writing something that's like 52 issues or more? Well, a, a one shot comic to me is a lot more difficult only because, uh, you know, you have to write, write, wrap everything up, you know, in one issue. So you only, you know, you have, you know, 20, 22 pages to tell the story and it has to have a, you know, beginning, middle, and end. Uh, when he goes to a longer run, you know, you can stretch, you can stretch out a little bit more. You can, you know, plan. You know, for a little more, you know, a little more story, and and you can go, you know, go a little more crazy with it, I guess. Um, so I guess the biggest, you know, it, with comics in general, outlining is a big deal. You know, you have to outline what you're going to tell in the story, and you know, with a, so with a one shot, you're just outlining what's going on to each page. Um, and when, it, but then when you get into a bigger a bigger issue, I'm outlining or a bigger series, I'm outlining what's going to go on in several arcs. Right and and uh, so there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more uh, freedom and it's more fun to to kind of plan out these big stories. Um, you know the difficulty with that is uh, you know when you when you're dealing with uh, especially with characters you don't you don't own when you're talking about like a you know a book for Marvel or a book for DC. Right. Uh, you know I tend to plan long story arcs, but I can't control if those books are going to continue or not. Uh, you know, it, it's it's very likely. Well, first of all, I can't I can't control if they're going to continue. You know, it used to mm -hmm. be it was nothing to see a comic that would last. You know, seventy. I remember comic ending at issue seventy five, and I would think, man, that sure didn't have a you know a long run. You know, that that book mm -hmm. ended too soon. Nowadays, if you get twelve issues, I mean, that's a that's a long run on a yeah. comic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's actually pretty impressive. Um, so you can't control what's you know what's going to happen there. To, uh, you don't have much control with what's going to what's going to happen there, and uh, and you also don't have control over things like crossovers and events and you know guest stars that the the publisher wants you to uh, right. to include. So that kind of can mess up uh, mess up an arc. I've I've written you know pretty detailed outlines on on almost everything that I that I that I've done. Some of usually. I go for 18 issues, but I almost never get to tell that the story that I initially outlined. I mean, it always changes for you know one one reason or another with well, those uh, with those corporate owned characters. Right, and like you said, you're like Nick said, you're writing Magneto, and there was a tie into Axis there, and and that's probably a challenge. But you're also writing Lobo for DC, and you've got some independent projects going with Terrible Lizard coming out as well. How, what's it like to work for all these different companies at different times, getting kind of pulled in different directions? It's fun, you know. The, you know, for a while, I worked solely with Oni Press, uh, you know, and 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 I love those guys, and and they're great. And for my creator-owned stuff, you know, they they've done some of my, you know, they've done some of my favorite projects. Sixth Gun was awesome. We got some feedback on that at the con we were just at, actually. Yep. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, that's you know, Six Gun, for instance, is you know, that's really the book that kind of you know, I'd done a, I'd done another project with Oni called uh, The Damned. That was my first real comic, you know, professional comic book work, was The Damned. And then you know, that led to a book called The Tooth, and that led to The Six Gun. And The Six Gun was really the book that kind of opened the doors at DC and at Marvel for me. That was the book that got some attention from those publishers. Um. 
mean, you know, and then I worked, you know, I, I was exclusive with Marvel for a couple of years, and, and now I'm, I'm just working with uh, pretty much, you know, every publisher out there I'm, I'm you know, I'm working with. And you know, it's fun. It's interesting because every publisher has their own, you know, their own quirks and, and their own, you know, you, you learn different things about every you know, every different publisher and and every editor within those publishers is is different. So you you know it's a it can be a learning experience every time you uh you get a new project going with those guys with with one of those folks. So when you're comparing like some like like Oni Press to Marvel now being right, I know it's like a pitching process you have to go through. It, is there more of a pitching process with like an independent than there is with like a Marvel? Because I know from what we hear from a lot of artists is like Marvel or DC would come up to them and be like, "Hey, you're you're on this project and that's it." Is it is it more um, flexibility in terms of freedom and just pitching what your own idea with independent, or is it the same process in terms of writing with the the big two? Yeah, you have to, you know, there, there's a, a pretty distinct difference. Uh, you know, when I was younger and I didn't know what the pitching process was and I, you know, I wanted to work for Marvel or DC and I'd send them, you know, here's my Ghost Rider pitch. Here's my, you know, here's my, um, my, my Spider-Man pitch. And, and I'd send pitches back and I, and I, they would get rejected every time, you know, r- you know, right away. And, uh, it, and, and that's what a lot of people don't realize, um, you know, if, you're, if you want to work with Marvel, Marvel or DC, um, and some people don't and some people do, but if you want to, it's probably not going to be a, a matter of you going and saying, this is the greatest Wolverine story ever written, and this is what I want to do. Uh, the way it usually works is you do something else on your own, your own, you know, your own project, uh, like with an Oni Press or, or a smaller publisher, or you self-publish it. Mm-hmm. And Marvel and DC, if they see that and like it, they'll call, they'll contact you, and they'll say, "Hey, we want you to do a project for us." And usually, when they do that, they say, "We'd like you to do this project." For me, for instance, the first thing I got was a DC contacted me a few years ago and said, "We want you to do a Superman and Batman story. You have nice. four issues. What you know? What would you do with four issues in a Superman Batman story?" Right. And uh, uh. And I wrote like six one-paragraph pitches for a Superman-Batman story. And uh, they picked one. They said, this is the one we like, and that's the story I wrote. You know, and, and sometimes with Marvel, it's been, we want you to write a four-issue arc of Wolverine. What would you do in that arc? Mm-hmm. Or we want you to write a, a miniseries uh, in, for this event, and it features these characters. What would you do with, with, you know, with these characters? Or, you know, they've even, you know, they've come to me and said, we want to do a book called Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. We don't know what that story is about other than that's the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you do with it? And then I send them my idea for that story, and that's what we go. You know, we may massage that outline uh, or we may change it, uh, but usually we, I send the pitch. They say, yes, let's go with that story, and then I write that story. When you're dealing with, you know, when you're dealing with your own thing, you know, yeah, I feel like the pitches, my pitches for my own creator-owned projects are a little mm. more detailed and a little more of a sales pitch for, you know, for those projects. Right. Um, and, yeah, you have complete and total uh, freedom to do whatever you want to with those. So pretty much like you said, they had like the, you're right, like the six one-paragraph pitches. To me, those are kind of like elevator pitches in a sense. You know, you're in an elevator with a guy, you have like 10 seconds to pitch him. So that's what you try to get all what you, your vision for four issues in like one paragraph, so it's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, and and with those kind of pitches, and this is again, 
you know, your mileage may vary if you're a creator. But for me, when someone comes to me and says, hey, we want you to write, you know, Wolverine, mm-hmm. for, you know, and you have one arc. Or if you, you know, uh, you know, I'm doing some things right now where they said we want to do, you know, one of the publishers said we want something with this character that could be an ongoing series. What would you do in the ongoing series? Right. And that pitch was a little bit longer because um, I kind of said, well, this is the tone I'd go for. And here are, uh, I don't know, I think I said six or eight, you know, little are ideas for arcs that could come up. Mm-hmm. Some of those arcs were paragraph long. Some of those descriptions were sentence long. But I don't think there's much use, it, from my point of view, in going into a lot more detail in a character I don't own and I don't know what they've got planned for the character. Right. Um, until they say yes, these kind of you know, I'm, it's kind of like you know baiting a hook, and you throw your hook out there, and if they're interested in it, they bite, and then you can reel them in by giving them more detail on that you know on that pitch if they're right. not completely sold on it. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, an elevator pitch is is not a not a bad description, uh, and and then like I said, you know, for for creator own stuff, I I definitely go into a little more detail on the pitch, and you know, I describe what the story is, because chances are that's not going to change. That's my that, you know that's the story I want to tell, and uh, you know, there are times where the publisher may offer some suggestions or some. Uh, or, or one of your collaborators might offer some suggestions that change things, but from the get-go, that's the story I want to tell, so I can put more detail into it. Well, you've told a lot of stories over the years, and it seems like we do a segment uh, called "What What We're Reading" uh, on the show every week, and it seems like more often than not, we're, <laughs> we're reviewing one of your comics, and it's not it's not on purpose; it just sort of happens that way because it's great content. And one of the uh, one of the comics that I reviewed uh, a few weeks ago was your uh, was your one shot for the shadow that involved Houdini, and still one of the best comics I think I've read this year. Talk about that one shot and what came into that story in general, because I thought it was a fantastic take. Well, you know, uh, the shadow's a character I've always uh, I've always liked. I remember my dad telling you know. The Shadow may be my first introduction to superheroes. I'm not 100% sure, but The Shadow may be that because I remember my dad telling me stories about The Shadow because that was a character he would listen to. He would listen to the radio program when he mm-hmm. was younger. So he would tell me about The Shadow, and, and so it was fun to do uh, a story featuring that character. When I, when I got that project you know, as a one-shot, I just wanted to uh, – you know, I wanted to, to – tell sort of a solid story and I wanted to think about the kind of things the kind of pulp stories I really like and one of the things that I, that I like with a lot of novels that I've read and everything are stories that kind of you know take real life you know real life figures and put them in these uh, you know in these fictional mm-hmm. settings or have them encounter these fictional heroes uh, so you know, I, I, I thought about you know that, that was kind of a what I wanted to do with this one issue and uh, and I think Houdini is sort of an interesting, interesting. F- he's an interesting figure, anyway. You know, you could pr- I could probably have done just a Houdini comic, and it would have oh, been yeah. interesting for mm-hmm. me. But uh, but I thought you know, m- you know, meshing the world of the shadow with the world of Houdini was kind of a uh, an interesting way to get into that story and tell sort of this. Uh, Introduce the shadow to this uh, to this magical world. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit when I wrote that issue, I wrote it with the intent that it would be interesting enough that people might want to see more of that story. I did. More. I did. Uh, well, you're probably in luck. I mean, I can't say too much more beyond that. But you're, but you're in luck <laughs> in terms of seeing more of that world uh, and and more of the shadow following. You know, those uh, 
on this world of magic. Good I guess. to know. Yeah, that's so. awesome. Now, one one book I'm I'm constantly reading. It's a, I literally think it's probably one of, if not the best book Marvel has out right now. Is your Magneto run simply because we're seeing something like a side? I've seen a side of Magneto that I never really saw before. So, what when you're writing a book, um, whether it's the main person is the antagonist or protagonist or whatever, what kind of emotion or, or um, trait do you try to get out of your characters in your book? At least your your main character, especially somebody like Magneto. Um. Well, you know, it's a diff- It's for me. It's different with every book. Some, you know, some writers will focus solely on, you know, uh, a characteristic or personality trait or a character arc that they want to, you know, they want to get across. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes that's how I approach it. I think when I first started with Magneto, though, I kind of wanted a tone for the series. Was mm-hmm. my was, was something that was more important to me right off the bat. And uh, it, because as soon as they started talking about doing Magneto. Uh, I wanted to do a detective series or a horror a horror series starring Magneto. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a, I wanted the sort of dark, dreary uh, feel for for the world. And I don't know if you remember this show. There was a show called Millennium that came on. Oh you know, yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. It was such a dark, sort of depressing view <laughs> yes. of, of the world. And uh, and I can't, you know part of that you know part of me wanted to do a little bit of a Millennium take. On, on Magneto and, and have him as sort of the Frank Black character. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I also wanted to give him sort of a, you know, an action, an action hero vibe, even if he didn't have any powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but so that was, I, I was going for a tone more than anything initially was my, was my plan with Magneto is to go for this weird, dark, horrific take on Magneto's quest. And that's what's great about it is that, like you said, you mentioned, you know, in the beginning, he doesn't really have his powers. So, like, you, the way that you you write him, Colin, it's it's really great because you see that vulnerability. I told James on the sh- on a prior show, there's a vulnerability in Magneto that we've never really seen before. You know, there's something we've never really seen in past comics or just even in the movies, for, for example. There's just that vulnerability we see where he has that self-realization. I think you captured him perfectly. Well, I'm glad you said that because one of the things that uh, – I'm glad that vulnerability comes across because I remember writing the series in like the first six or seven issues. I remember telling my editor that I, I felt like I had a problem because if you really read those and, – and, and I, I know that Magneto f- seems vulnerable in it. But if you read those, he kicks everybody's ass. I mean, he does. He's, he's unstoppable. <laughs> and I was like I have not I, – I, I just realized like I have not put – Magneto through a, a physical, you know, a challenge, something mm-hmm. that was actually putting him on the ropes mm-hmm. um, in that story. He go, he wades through everybody he faces, but you know, you know, the real enemy he's facing, the one who's really defeating him, is himself. Right. And and that's what I was, you know, I, I was hoping would would come across, you know, because early on we went back and forth about it, would there be a you know a big bad that would be facing Magneto. Right. And 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 really, the truth of the matter is, Magneto is his own, his own, you know, worst enemy. Arch, yeah, his own his own worst enemy oh, in definitely. the series, and that's why we haven't put, uh, we haven't necessarily put a big bad up against him, so to speak. Perfect. That, that, I mean, that, that's awesome. Like I said, you know, you don't. Like you said he always get, he's always an ass kicker, but he's never the one getting his ass kicked. So it's like seeing him with that own vulnerability. And the thing is. In, in previous runs and even in the movies, the only time we really see him vulnerable is those flashbacks to his days in the internment camps, but we never really see anything outside of that. But I'm right. glad that you bring something outside of those memories that makes, like, hey, he's just really this regular guy. Like, he has his own demons, his own things that are 
and you know hurting him. So I'm glad. I'm really excited. Not as as a big X Men fan, somebody who grew up in X Men, but somebody who's just is a big comic book reader in general. I'm glad that you know you were that person. You know to put that kind of take on this character that we haven't really seen before. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it, it's been a it's been a a, a fun uh, project. It's uh, it's it can be challenging at times, but uh, it's 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 definitely a book I'm pretty proud of. Well, speaking of ass kickers, you were just recently put on uh, Lobo with uh, Riley Brown over there at DC, but there was a little bit of a controversy with the look of Lobo and the art, which really as a writer has nothing to do with you in a sense. How do you deal with kind of, I guess you got to call them the haters out there when you see all these comments <laughs> like, really, you're changing the look and that's what you're focusing on? Well, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, you know, DC made the decision to change the 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 look of Lobo, but uh, but also his character is was Mm -hmm. pretty much uh, drastically changed over the last couple of years. Um, And you know, they came to me and said, "We want to write a, we want you to write a Lobo series. Uh, We it's going to feature, you know, this Lobo, this -hmm. version of Lobo is who we want, you know, who we want in the book." And uh, and you know, I I knew going into that. You know, taking that project, (laughs) that there would be a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, of, of the haters kind of crawling out of the woodwork and and just really angry. Uh, I've had, you know, a few people who set up uh, Twitter accounts just to comment on Lobo. I mean, you know, they no picture, no, (laughs) no followers. They're not following anybody. Yeah, it's just an egg up there. (laughs) Yeah, and they're only, they're only, the only thing they ever tweet about is Lobo and how, you know, what a terrible person I am for, uh, for, for what, you know, for this character. Um, and you know it's you know I get it. I mean, people like you know they like what they like. Comic book fans, uh, especially, nobody likes change. But uh, comic book fans especially do not like change. Um, they like the characters that that they like. Um, and I loved, you know, the main man Lobo in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I thought he was cool. I like those stories. Oh, yeah. I don't think he holds up anymore. I don't think he. I don't think he. And then this gets me a lot, you know. This gets me some heat. People don't like when I say this. I don't think Lobos as as uh, as he was presented in the '90s. Uh, I don't think he stands the test of time. He would have needed needed to change anyway. Right. To, and, and I think DC really wanted to try to attract some new readers, and uh, and that was, uh, you know, that's why they wanted to go with this character. They wanted something, you know different and fresh and and he is drastically different oh he really oh, is oh he really is from the old lobo he, i mean he, he really is not. and i like the fact that you the when you know stick with lobo is you know the fact of the matter is you know when they want to change up the look you know you're going to change up the whole storyline pretty much mostly as well but the fact that it's like hey you stole my identity and that's the first pretty much panel you see it's a good like okay they got the idea of how to transition from the the main man Lobo to the new version of Lobo so I think it was very you know smooth transition so what kind of other ways were you thinking of like transitioning like, okay we're going from the main man to this new look this new story what kind of other ideas were you kind of kicking around and, 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 and well I mean one of the initial pitches that I sent to DC that they didn't bite on I kind of you know I was like hey, I, I kind of like this story I wish you had I wish they had a gone with it one of the initial pitches was uh was actually the old school lobo the 90s lobo and this new version of lobo were like brothers they were both they were the lobo brothers huh. and they were going to be flying around the 
the universe like uh, Simon and Simon uh, from the old 80s TV show, uh, an odd couple pairing just going on adventures together. Um, but uh, but DC didn't like that idea. <laughs> they, huh. they did not want uh, they did not want me to. to I, I think they didn't want as that would have been a little bit more of a comedy story. And I think they didn't want a comedy story with this Lobo. They wanted him to to kind of be a more serious character and stand on his own a little bit uh, more than than he would have if he was a comedy character. I actually think that would have been an interesting story. I think I think I kind of like that. Now that it would have been, it, it would have been fun. It would have been fun. And and at one time, uh, uh, the old Lobo was going to be uh, uh, an ongoing antagonist for this uh, for for the the new Fifty Two Lobo. Uh, but uh, again, they said they didn't want that. They they wanted me to to the directive from editorial was deal with the old Lobo as quickly as humanly possible. Mm. Uh, oh, well, you is, did that. You know, yeah, I dealt with him very quickly <laughs> in the first issue, <laughs> first panel. <laughs> yeah, and and they really just wanted me to to focus on a new story for you know to introduce this lobo to introduce uh, the world he comes from and tell his story and get his backstory across that that's i mean that that's awesome so i mean now you go on to like some other you know projects you got going on Colin. one of them as you mentioned you know it's terrible lizard we talked to drew moss about this a couple of weeks ago um you know what kind of gave the idea of i know i mean everybody loves dinosaurs but what kind of gave you this idea of like you know what, i want to do a comic book about you know these dinosaurs and stuff like that. Well, I think it goes. Just, you know, you're right. Everybody loves dinosaurs, and I've been a you know I've been a dinosaur fan. You know, since I was a little kid, I've always liked dinosaur stories. And uh, you know, it it I don't think you know anyone who looks at the at the, the this concept will know that you know there there's obvious influence from uh the great jack kirby character devil dinosaur uh you know which was the story of this t-rex you know running around this prehistoric world raising you know fighting monsters mm-hmm. and he had his little human or moon boy companion and uh and i wanted to tell a story like that i wanted to tell a story that could be all ages and that you know readers of of you know from any age group could enjoy um, and, uh, and, and that's the, uh, you know, that uh, this was that story. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I had this, this is in many ways, this is my, you know, my giant monster, monster matinee story. It seems like it's going to be a great story. We definitely can't wait to pick it up. And one of the things that people might not know about you, Colin, is that your dad, was actually a hypnotist, and you were part of the act right. when you were younger. So I get, got me to thinking, because you've worked with so many different companies, so many different people, if you could hypnotize one person in the <laughs> comic book industry, who would it be, and what would you make them do? Oh, uh, man, um, that's a tough question. Uh, that that question could get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to get you in too much trouble. No, um, all right, well, let's say, uh, you know, I don't know, I would... This may not be necessarily in the comic book industry, but let's say I'd want to hypnotize whoever it is that currently holds the rights to either ROM or the Micronauts and get them to uh, to greenlight an old, you know, a, a version of the series uh, or a comic book based on the old version of the comic series with those characters. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. And stuff because, uh, you know, uh, those were comics that were, you know, big for me growing up. Micronauts is still my all-time favorite comic, 
And, uh, you know, I'd love to see, you know, Marvel can use some of the characters. You know, they created certain characters themselves. Right. They, those characters still show up every now and again. But I'd love to see an, an you know, an actual Micronauts series like uh, like the great Bill Mantlo did uh, back in the day. So if so you're if- listening, Micronauts people. That's right, Micronauts folks. <laughs> yes. So so if you had to write yourself, to give yourself a superpower, what would you write yourself? That What kind of superpower would you give yourself? You guys get these questions. Come on. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, I've always been, um, I've always been fascinated by teleportation. Nightcrawler, for instance, Mm -hmm. always been a character I've really liked. I think I, I think teleportation might be kind of, uh, kind of great. Although, uh, you know, a a super fast healing factor would be awesome too. Nice. And another one, this happened last night. I mean, it was pretty much the biggest thing. It pretty much took down the entire internet. What's your take of the Ultron trailer? Because we were talking about this earlier. I just watched it today. I did not realize it was out. Uh, so I maybe watched it maybe an hour and a half ago. I was, uh, I think I signed on to Marvel Unlimited or something, and it, and it had a link to the Ultron Taylor trailer. Uh, I thought it was pretty great. I, uh, I, I really liked it. Um, I wanted to see more uh, of Ultron. I wanted to hear, you know, I wanted to hear more of what Ultron had to say. I liked the, I liked the whole, uh, the. You know the puppets and oh yeah, no uh, strings. Pinocchio, the the Pinocchio uh, that was awesome. Riff. I thought that was really cool, and you know it was it was creepy, and uh, uh, you know I I was uh, you know I was already excited about it. So usually when I'm excited about a movie, I won't bother with the trailers, right? Uh, but I, I you know I got sucked into that, and yeah, I'm uh, I'm on board. <laughs> so I'm thinking that once the movie hits and everything starts to become popular, I'm thinking Cullen Bunn writes the uh, writes the Ultron solo comic. What do you think? An Ultron series that would be kind of awesome. Um, he, you know, I, I do like writing villains, and the nice thing about Ultron is he his last name, you know, his name doesn't end in an O. So yeah. uh, it would be a little different for me because you know I'm doing Lobo, Magneto, and Sinestro. Those are my villains. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a, it sounds like an Italian, uh, an Italian, mu- the members of an Italian music. Group. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put them all together and see what happens. That's right. <laughs> uh, that no, that's that's awesome. I mean, you know. Um, yeah, I would love to see an Ultron comic written by you because that'd be uh, that's just great. Now, when you're writing, you know, a comic that's just basically you, you know, you write Sinestro. I'm reading that currently. I love that as well. Um, when you're writing like a hero, like a hero who's your main character compared to a villain, other than their allegiances, what's the? Are there any difficulties or any difference? You know, what other differences are there when you're writing? You know, a hero as a main protagonist compared to a villain. Well, the biggest difference for, or biggest difficulty for me is. You can't make them too likable. Right. I mean, uh, Sinestro, for instance, is such a fun character to write, and he is a jackass. Yes. yes. I mean, he is a he's just a not not a nice person, no. and he's so conceited and narcissistic, and uh, he's just a you know a total jackass. But he's so much fun to write because of that. Uh, at the same time, you know, I'm writing him and I'm putting him in these scenarios, and I'm like, I gotta remind myself that he's a bad guy i don't want readers to ever feel like this is sinestro's redemption story this is sinestro's moment where he becomes you know the you know he he can't do uh 
you can't do a face turn like a wrestler. He has, you know, right. he can't, he can't jump allegiances so easily. So I want to keep people. I have to, I have to remind myself sometimes. You can't make him too likable. You have to have him do some things that are pretty bad, and you have to remind readers that he's not a, you know, he's not a good guy. Well, you've got so many projects in the works now, and you mentioned that you've got a lot of stuff that has yet to come out, a lot of stuff that's coming. So is there anything that you have that you can actually tell us that's coming that people can look forward to? Well, um, in December, I have a book coming out from Vertigo called Wolf Moon, and it's a, it's a six-issue uh, six series that I'm doing with uh, Jeremy Hahn. Um, and it is a, you know, it's a new take on the werewolf, the werewolf legend, uh, and it is, you know, I'm pretty excited about it because this book, you know, this is a book that's been written for a couple of years now. You know, it's, it, I've been done with it for a couple of years, and and for a while I was not even sure if it was going to ever see print, um, um, because of, you know, it was with a publisher, and 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 that publisher vanished, and uh, and you know, it was finding another publisher to to take it, you know, and, and deal with the contracts and the legal, you know, the con the contracts that were in place and everything. Right. Um, I, I, I honestly thought it might've been in limbo forever. Uh, but finally, you know, Vertigo stepped up and said, we want to do the book. And, uh, I'm real excited for people to read it because it's, a, uh, I think it's a, it's a unique take on the werewolf legend and, uh, it's violent and bloody and, you know, it, it's a, you know, it's a hard boiled, uh, werewolf story that uh, I'm really excited about. That that's is a, really that's really exciting. That's 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 cool. So so other than the werewolf, what other monsters kind of intrigue you the most? Um, you know, I was saying I was talking to some someone not long ago, and I you know I think uh you know I've always been uh, a fan of uh the you know witches. Mm -hmm. Witches seem to mm -hmm. be you know uh, something that scare me. Witches scare me a little bit. So witches have always been uh, of interest to me. Um, uh, Drew Moss that, that and I you know doing a terrible lizard may be working on a book that features vampires uh, pretty nice. uh, prominently. Oh, nice. It would be a very it's a very different take on vampires. Um, so you know all those you know I, I just I like all kinds of monsters, but yeah. Uh, werewolves, vampires, witches, you know, the classics, it's hard to, to go wrong with. Well, I know you have a lot of fans out there, Colin, that want to know more about your work and maybe want to see you at some cons and things like that. So where can people get more information about what you've got going on currently? Um, well, they can uh, always visit my website. It's uh, CullenBun.com. Uh, and you can follow me uh, on Twitter, at CullenBun. Those are probably the two best places to keep track of me. Um, and yeah, you know, I will be going to, I, you know, I haven't set up my schedule yet for next year in terms of conventions, but, uh, you know, once I do that stuff will be posted on my website and, and we go in, you know, I'll be, uh, you know, doing the rounds. Uh, I'm, I'm also looking at possibly doing, uh, some, uh, like a tour of some stores and, and, in some areas I oh, haven't really, cool. uh, I haven't really gone to yet. Yeah. Come to the Virginia beach area. And that's, you know, that's actually pretty tempting. Hey, well, it's it's very nice here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so before I let you go, Colin, what you know, you talk about you know conventions. We we're talking about that, and uh, what's your? We asked Drew the same question. Uh, what's your? What was your strangest con experience? <laughs> um, there's so many, so many strange <laughs> convention experiences. 
Uh, what did Drew say? <laughs> he said that he was at a con and he was doing a sketch with somebody, and some and somebody was in a Deadpool cosplay. They wanted a Deadpool commission, and a girl walked by with a Green Lantern T-shirt, and of course he yelled, "The kid!" The guy yelled, "Boobies!" And it turned Drew off. And there was another artist across from Drew, so the guy went to him to get a commission done. And the guy's like, "Hey man, I gotta go to the bathroom." And the guy's like, "Oh no, you're saying?" He's like, "No, really." And the guy left over the table and ran to the bathroom. The artist did. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, okay. That may be better. You know, I don't know. There's, you know, there's been a few, uh, you know, strange experiences. I, I think I was just telling someone the other day. Uh, I was at a convention uh, a couple of years ago, and you know, there there are some of the. I like cosplayers. I like looking at the costumes and everything. Oh yeah. But the cosplayers who get into character and don't get out. Uh, are a little bit uh, disconcerting to me sometimes. I uh, they put me off a little bit. And there was a a Jason Voorhees uh, cosplayer at one of these shows, and he stomps up to the table wearing the hockey mask, holding the big bloody machete, and he was completely in Jason Voorhees' character. Oh wow! He, wow. he wouldn't talk. He he wouldn't make any sounds. He j- he pointed at one of the books. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there like, uh, you want to hear about the six gun? I'll pitch the six gun to Jason Voorhees. <laughs> and, you know, he made no reaction. I couldn't judge from his face what he was doing because he had the hockey mask on. So that was a little uh, a little strange to me, was trying to sell Jason Voorhees a comic book. That, that was actually interesting because that reminds us, James, remember when we were at TywaterCon this past yeah, Saturday. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. There was a guy called, he was in full Klingon cosplay, he'd walk up to our booth and he would not say one word. He just gave us a death stare. And we're like, <laughs> and we're like, okay. We were doing a live podcast too. We're like, there it was a silence. And we're like, that may have been the weirdest thing yeah, ever. Yeah, it was, it was very odd. Yeah, I, uh, I went, the Klingons are funny. I went to a convention one year where they were doing the Klingon jail, you know, where you could, for charity, you could, <laughs> awesome. you could have the Klingons arrest your, uh, arrest your friends and everything and you could pay extra to have them torture your friends while they were in jail and stuff like that but i remember being at that convention one year and uh they sometimes people would run from these klingons they didn't want to go to this klingon jail and be embarrassed in front of everybody and i was sitting at i was sitting somewhere in the convention and i hear this guy screaming bloody murder just and he comes running down the uh, running down the, the hall, he's in full Star Trek uniform. He looks like an ensign from you know the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. He comes running, just screaming, and then here come these six Klingons chasing him. <laughs> and I was oh like, "Well, that's gosh. just the perfect little uh, you know th- th- that all worked out so well for everybody involved." <laughs> <laughs> that that was fantastic. Well, Colin, we thank you for coming on today and literally taking time out of your very busy schedule. Um, oh, I appreciate it, guys. Anytime. You know, you and Terrible you can pre-order now, correct? Yeah, uh, you can pre-order it now. Tell your comic shop to uh, to get the book in for you. All right. Well, Colin, thanks very much, man. Well, I hope to have you on uh, later in the later as the months go on. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, guys. No problem.